you realized I didn't get very far with my sermon. And I don't know, just with all the stuff kind of going on, we didn't have much time, you know. And my husband even said to me afterwards, he's like, I was really proud of you. You're like, you, you, you know, you, you had a little bit of time, but you delivered a good message in a short amount of time. And not that I need to hear that, right? I'm doing this for God. And I always put it on God. I'm like, God, if it's good, it's you. If it's bad, it's you. I take no glory. I take no blame, right? I do my part. I prepare and give, give God the rest. But it was nice to know that even though we kind of had to shorten that message. So I wanted to continue with that message. And so today it's speak to the lack. What is some of the lack that's in your life? And now, I remember as a mother, and hopefully Matthew will be fine with this. I'm sure he'll be fine with this. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about my son, Matthew. He's the drummer. He's, he's downstairs right now with some of the kids. But I remember in, like, high school, um, there was some lack in Matthew's life. You might be thinking, what was lacking in Matthew's life? Well, it was good friends. I'll just be honest, right? Freshman year was hard. You know, sophomore year was really hard. As he got a little bit older he was able to kind of, you know, be more of a leader and kind of see, you know, some of the underclassmen that were good kids and kind of invite people over and hang out. And it wasn't as bad. But, man, freshman year in high school, like, I don't know if anybody that's been through high school, you know, sometimes that's hard, especially when a lot of the kids started drinking or um, they were doing marijuana and doing different drugs and stuff. And Matthew just was like, he wasn't going to do that, right? Like, you know, I was just big explaining to the kids, like, hey, when you've got family um, – addictions, like why even open up that can of worms? And so he made that choice from a young age to just really um, not get involved in those things. So what would happen is his friends that were starting to do that knew he wasn't going to be interested. And so they wouldn't invite him to parties and they stopped kind of hanging out with him. And all of a sudden he was very lonely. And so I thought, all right, well, there's a lack. What does the Bible tell us to do? You have not because you ask not, right? What does God's word say to do? So what I did is I just started to pray thought, I can't control this. I can't change this. I can't control who he wants to hang out with or what he wants to do, but I can pray. So I began to pray specifically for my son. Now, as a typical, like, type A, want to be in control, mom wanting to do everything, I did have a vision. I did have an expectation, right? There were some lots next to our house. I thought, oh, maybe somebody will buy that lot next to our house, and they're going to build a house, and there's going to be a a 13-year-old boy, and they're they're Christians, and and then he'll have a best friend, right? That was my—I'm praying. I would just say, God, bring somebody into his life. But that's my vision. That was my expectation. Has anyone ever done that? You daydream, and you kind of think, this is how God should answer my prayer, Right? I'm having money problems. He should answer my prayer. I should win the lotto, right? <laughs> like, not like, uh, go get a second job, Mary, right? <laughs> no, I want to, <laughs> we have expectation. We want it to happen this way. Well, my expectation was he would find a friend his age. But that didn't really happen. Not at that time, not in that moment. But surprisingly, something did happen. It didn't even connect the two at first. A couple of weeks after I started praying, a, a young woman from our church called me up and said, Hey, Mary, I'm going to be going back to school at SVSU. I want to finish my degree. And I have this little, yeah, she had a little baby boy. He was maybe one years old. And she said, I need to find someone to babysit my son. And he was um, a little bit younger, I think, than, than Wesley and Claudia, but about, about the same ages, roughly. And, and she wanted to know if I would watch him. And I, you know, at first I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, I'd love to make a few extra bucks. You know, I'm thinking she's going to pay me, right? So I said, okay. I said, well, like, you know, what were you thinking as far as compensation? 
And she said, well, actually, I, I don't have any extra money. That's why I thought I'd call you. And, and, um, and I'm like, okay. And she's like, but my husband could come to your house and rake your leaves, or maybe he could cut your grass, or, you know, we're willing to help, you know, in some way. Because, I mean, it was going to be like two or three days a week. I was going to be watching this little boy at the house. And I thought about it, and my husband's very, he likes to mow the grass. That's like his thing. He likes, you know, certain things. I'm thinking, I don't know if I trust this guy to mow the grass. He might not do it the way my husband likes, you know, so we don't really need help there. But her husband was the drummer at the church we attended. And Matthew had been in band in middle school, but they just, they play like a drum. You know, like, do 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 So he had never played on a set like that before. But he had gotten one for Christmas, and it kind of sat in the basement, and it wasn't really set up right. And every once in a while, I'd hear him banging on it, you know, trying to figure it out, but not really knowing. And, and so I said to her, I said, how about this? How about I watch your son these two or three days a week, and your husband comes in once a week and gives my son an hour lesson on how to play the drums, right? And I thought, well, that'll work. And she was fine with that. Her husband was fine with that. And, and uh, I remember the first night he came. He came, and Matthew and him were downstairs, and I can hear the drums kind of moving around, and, and I'm just, I'm curious, you know, I'm like, look at him, like, I don't know this guy that well, I'm like, you know, he's downstairs with my kid, I'm kind of checking him out, you know, and then all of a sudden I hear him playing for a while, and I hear drums, and I'm, all of a sudden I hear something, I'd be like, oh, that's Brandon, that sounds really good, right, and then a few minutes later I'd hear, and I'm like, oh, that's Matthew, he's just learning, you know, and, uh, and then all of a sudden it was quiet. The hour gets done, and 10 minutes goes by, and 15 minutes goes by, and it's just quiet. And finally, about, you know, I think it was 30 minutes over, all of a sudden Matthew comes up, or Matthew and Brandon comes upstairs, and Brandon picks up his son and leaves. And I asked Matthew, I said, what was going on down there? I said, I only heard you guys actually working on the drums for maybe an hour. He goes, well, yeah, Brandon said the lesson's an hour. He's got to show me drums for an hour. I go, well, then what would you do for the last 30 minutes? And he said, We talked. I'm like, oh, yeah, what'd you talk about? Life and school and, and just when he was my age. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Didn't think any, I just still didn't think this is God answering prayer, right? No, no, because I'm waiting for so the house building to begin next door so the 12-year-old kid could be moving in, right? And so week after week goes by, and for a good hour I'd hear those drums go on, but they'd be down there for about 30 minutes afterwards. And all of a sudden, now Matthew's now the drummer on the youth band. And he's hanging out with Brandon and all the youth people and the guys at the church. And he's doing all this stuff. And one day, as I get out my list to pray like normal, right? And the, and the list on there was, pray for Matthew to have a friend. I just felt like this little voice say, I already answered that one. See, in our minds, sometimes we have this idea of how God is going to answer our prayer and what we want it to be like. But God's idea of the answered prayer sometimes looks different. And that's when, like, Matthew's life began to totally change and all of a sudden the self-confidence in him that he didn't have to have 20 best friends in high school all his same age, right, in the same place. All of a sudden he had friends that were 21 and 25 and, you know, began getting involved in the church youth group and learned how to drum. And, and his drumming now has taken him all over. He got a chance to, to tour with a group, um, you know, high school group in Europe. And he's got to be on the stage with Nicole up at the State Theater. And it was all because I started asking, like, Lord, bring somebody into his life that can be a friend. 
Now, why do I tell you this story? I want this to be like a practical story for you. What is something you practically are praying for? It's something practical in your life, right? Is it your kids, right? Is it a job situation? Is it housing? Is it, is it finances? What is the lack in your life? I could tell you lots of stories here at the church. I remember being young and being at church and the pastor telling stories about how God would answer prayers and how things would come together. And I would think, how does that apply to me, though? Like, that's not what's going on in my life. But the reality is the asking God and expecting him to help you and speaking to the lack, recognizing it, is something that all of us can go through. See, I think that the number one thing that happens is that we either ignore the lack or we just live with it. We recognize that there is a lack, but we just think it's normal and we just live with it, right? Like, well, yeah, I have a lack in my finances. That's just the way life is. Rather than say, I got to speak to this. I got to figure out what's going on here, right? Do I, do I, like the Bible says to knock, to seek, to, to knock on the doors, ask. Do I need to do something different? Do I need to shift jobs? Do I need to, um, you know, cut out something? What do I need to do? What do I need to pray and have the Lord reveal to me what needs to happen here? Right? Sometimes it's in a relationship. It's like, well, I just, I'm, I'm, I have this going on. I don't have this, I have this lack with my children, or I have this lack with a, being alone, and I'm just going to live with it. It's like, why don't you speak to it? Speak to God, speak to the situation, and do something about it. So we started here in the book of Mark, chapter 11, where, you know, Jesus talks to us a lot about speaking to things. So in Mark chapter 11, in verse 22, Jesus says to them, have faith in God, Jesus answered. See, I had faith in God. You know, he ended up doing it his own way, which is fine. I always give him permission, like, Lord, I have in my mind one thing, but I'm trusting you, right, that you know better, that you'll figure this out. But the bottom line is, do you have faith in God that he will answer that prayer? We often say, well, I'm worrying about this, Mary. I want you to stop worrying. I want you to start wondering. It's natural for us to wonder. I wonder how God is going to answer this prayer. That's different than I'm worrying about this situation. Once I ask God to take care of it, I'm no longer going to worry about it because now it's his responsibility, right? Like there's been situations just in the last year of having Marlene on staff where it's like all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I gave this responsibility to her. I need to stop worrying about it. Why? Because I have faith and trust that she's going to take care of it. I might still wonder. I might still ask her. She'll tell you she's, I'm working on that. Mary's still working on that, right? But that's, that's the hope. That's the goal. Like, we have people in our life like that where you ask them and you don't doubt, right? Because you know them. You trust them. I mean, they've got integrity. If they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. Now, there's other people in your life where you ask them once and you think, I better remind them ten times, right? But see, God, thankfully, is the one that we can ask him. And when I begin to wonder, I just thank him. Thank you for taking care of that, Lord. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt. See, that's the hard part. We do doubt. Let's just be real. We do doubt. I doubt. It's human nature. But the goal is to pray and say, help my unbelief. We see that scripturally where people would come to him and he'd say, if, if, do you not believe? And they would say, help my unbelief. So it's okay to say, help me. Help me not to doubt. Help me to have this type of faith, mountain-moving faith. Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, 
Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. See, a lot of people say to me, Mary, I can't just speak to it, you know, claim it, name it, you know, like we've, we've had people preach on that. And that's just very short-sighted. That's only one thing, one part of it. Yes, I can say it, but then he, did you read the rest of the passage? Verse 24 says, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you will receive it and it will be yours. See, it was one thing for me to say, Lord, I want Matthew to have friends. I want him to feel like he belongs somewhere, right? I want him to be able to grow as a young man. But then I had to follow up with prayer. Okay, Lord, now I'm praying for that. I'm asking for that. Bring somebody into his life, right? So it's the first part is saying, if you say it and don't doubt, it'll happen. And then he says, so therefore, if you're praying and believe you have received it, it will be yours. So when we see the lack, we have to recognize that we need to speak to it. And then we're going to follow that up with prayer. All right. So last week we looked at false promises. So many times we get distracted by false promises. And we talked about when Jesus saw the fig tree. And in and, and the culture of that time when the fig trees had leaves on it, usually that's when the fruit would be on it. So Jesus went up to the fig tree. It was a false promise, right? This tree is saying, I've got fruit. And he got there and there was no fruit. And so he cursed it and the tree withered up and died. And the apostles were all like, what are you, what, what just happened here, right? Like, you're the God, not only of the storm and the sea, you're the God over like the food and the people, but even over trees, over every little thing. And I mean, I think they forgot the definition of God, right? God made everything, right? But, but when we saw that lesson, you can go back and listen to last week's if you want, like how many times do we have lack in our life because we keep, oh, it's going to come in tomorrow. Oh, that inheritance is going to come tomorrow. Oh, this is going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to continue to live in lack because of this false promise, this, this fig tree without figs. I think this is going to be my answer. And really, it's just a distraction from, from Satan, right? The Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about when we go out and we plant the seed that sometimes the, the thorns will come in and choke out the productivity of our life because of the distractions of Satan. And so, number one, we have to recognize, is there any false hope in my life? Am I not changing? Am I not praying? Am I not moving forward with taking care of this slack because I've got this false hope? You know, and, and you got to just, sometimes you think, well, no, I know that's from God. Okay, well, I'm going to have faith. But sometimes if it's not from God, then it needs to be done. So you just have to pray. Some people will say, well, how do I know the difference? I say, well, God knows. I don't maybe not know, but God knows. Right? If I'm counting on something and it's not happening, I'll just ask God, God, if this is from you, then let it come quickly. If it's not from you, then let that distraction fade away and show me a clear path. It's that simple, right? If you can just ask God that. If this is for you, then make it evident. If it's not for you, let it go, right? I've had parents come to me about relationships, and um, you know, I've talked to many different teachers and different things, and they'll say, oh, I got this problem here. And I'll be like, well, let's just pray. Right? If this situation is not from God, then let that end. And I mean, the craziest story is, well, this person, you know, they, they, they got mad about this and they, they decided not to talk to that person anymore or this person moved away or this or that. Like, God can do things that we can't even imagine. We got to just trust him. So the first point we looked at was the false promises and how Jesus spoke to the tree and how it withered up. The next one I want to look at is when we have, a, have something that's good but it's not enough. We're going to look here in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. 
And this was when Jesus fed 5,000 people, okay? So I'm going to read you the passage, and we're going to talk about it. It's in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 14. It says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. We only here, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. And he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Isn't that amazing? There's just 5,000 men, but we know there were women and children in the crowd. Let's assume that for every man there was one other person. That's 10,000 people, right? I mean, because there might have been like one guy showing up with his wife and five kids, right? Another guy showing up by himself. But that's amazing that we had at least 5,000, if not 10,000 people fed. See, what the disciples had was good. Five loaves of bread and two fish was good for the 12 of them, right? But it wasn't enough for five, 10,000 people. Like, I mean, that's almost laughable, right? I mean, I've heard of stories where, like, um, these people, they go, these missionaries, that, like, when all the, I don't know if you guys remember, when the refugees from Syria were coming on the shores of, like, I think it was Turkey. They were showing up on a boatload. A lot of the, some of the kids drowned, like they were trying to get over. Uh, I was in the headlines and news, but I remember hearing about one of the, I don't know if it was like a Billy Graham missionary group or one of the groups, but they had these prepackaged trays of food. And so they heard about how all these people, all these refugees were on the shores and they weren't really letting them in the country. So they're literally on the beaches. And so this missionary, this Christian group just showed up with food. And they knew they had something like, I don't know, like 2,000 trays of food. But when they looked out, it was like, you know, three, 4,000 people. And they literally said, we're not going to say, well, because we don't have enough, we're not going to try to help. They said, we're going to pray over these, and we're going to just start distributing them until they're gone. They had enough trays for every single person on the beach. And I remember the article and somebody writing about it. They said, literally, we don't understand it because we've counted the crowd and we know. But there was just enough. They kept grabbing more trays and they kept grabbing more trays. That is a modern day, right? Loaves and fishes. But how many times do we not even try because we think, well, what little I have is not enough. But what did Jesus do? He spoke to it. And in this case, he thanked God for what he did have. And then he began to go out in faith with what he'd had. And it multiplied. I remember, I remember ever since I was young, when I would, I would babysit when I was little, and then probably about 12, 13, I started cleaning our church. Um, I, would, I remember I got like $11, or it was $12.50, because I think they could pay $25 a week, and me and another girl split it. And at, by the time I was done, I was up to $13.50, $13.50 a week. And I remember I would take that check and I would go and cash it and I would count out like a dollar twenty-five or a dollar fifty. Sometimes I would just give an offering, put two dollars, and every week I would tithe on that little bit of paycheck. 
because, and for me, it wasn't even so much of the principle. Like, we know, like, we don't, I don't need to give to be saved, but I also know that God's principles are true, right? The, the, just like the Old Testament that says, like, you know, if you're handling a dead body, go wash yourself, right? Make sure you know what sickness they died from before you go back into your home. I mean, people do, nowadays do that, right? Don't they? That principle is still true. If you work in the nurse or you're working in a morgue, you take a shower before you go home. Like, you don't just, you don't, you wash your hands before you eat. Like, we know the principle of God is true. Well, there's a principle about tithing and giving and then God giving back to you. It talks about 30, 60, 100 fold. And it's what you, you reap what you sow, meaning you harvest back what you've put into the ground. Okay, so that concept is true. So ever since I was young, I would always tithe. And then I started working at McDonald's, and I would tithe, and I would give. And, and as the days went on, but I remember being a single mom in my early 20s and not having enough. And it would be like, okay, I got this much money coming in. This is my mortgage. This is I got to buy groceries. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I remember speaking to it. And I remember telling God, God, you knew my heart. I never did that with the intention, even though your word says it's true. And I know lots of people that have. But I have given and I have sown, and now I need to reap back. Now I need to have enough. And I don't know how he did it, but there was always enough every week. Some weeks were harder than others, right? But there was always enough. I mean, we've had Jesse come up and give a testimony when we've, when we've preached about giving and tithing and, and about, you know, her family and how, you know, they were, like, insistent, like, nope, we're going to give to God. And even though, like, when she did the spreadsheets and did the numbers, they shouldn't have had enough every week. Every week there was enough. Because I would speak to it. It's like, okay, it's good. I got this job. I went and got a second job. I've got these resources, but it's still not enough. But now I've done my best. Now I'm going to trust you, God, to do the rest. Right? And I had to speak to it. See, a lot of what we do have is good. Maybe you do have a relationship with your children or with your parents or with your spouse, but it's not enough, right? Maybe, maybe what's going on in your marriage is good, but it's not quite enough. And you need to speak to it and you say, Lord, like we love each other, but we need to be able to be kinder to each other or we need um, more time together. Like I'm going to pray, right? What did he say? He said, speak to the mountain and then and pray, believe. Help us. Help us figure out a time. Right? And then all of a sudden, maybe grandma decides, hey, I'm going to come down and visit. Why don't you guys go spend some time together? And all of a sudden, you know, that becomes a thing. And all of a sudden, you have more time with your husband or your spouse or something going on with the kids, right? So here's the thing like, sometimes we have things that are a distraction and they need to wither up and go. And sometimes the lack that we have is it's good, it's just not enough. See, Jesus went on and did this again. This is what's interesting. But I want to show you here is the response of the disciples. So that was Matthew chapter 14. So just one more chapter over. And I mean, that could have been six months. We don't know the time change here. But a little while later, if we look here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, it says that Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up to a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the cripples, and the mute and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripples made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. So they're seeing physical miracles. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way you think this would be a trigger for them. Oh, he said this once before, right? 
This has happened once before, right? We just saw him do heal people that were sick, right? His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? See, here's the thing. Why was it so hard for his disciples to accept this type of miracle? Because this is everyday life things that they expect to be able to do themselves. See, we are all responsible for feeding ourselves every day, right? If you come in here and you're hungry, I'm going to give you food. I'm not going to go prepare it for you. I'm going to give you a box of mac and cheese or a jar of peanut butter, and I expect you to take it home, open it up, grab a spoon, and put it in your mouth. I stop feeding people when they hit about two years old. That's when I stop helping with that. Now, as some of you are much more compassionate, and maybe you would help. And obviously, if I'm not talking about people that are disabled. You know what I'm saying here, right? My point is, like, as adults, as functional people, somebody can give you food, but you have to feed yourself, right? And you have, most of us will go to the store or we'll have to come in and ask for food. And so the disciples aren't seeing God as their source for practical everyday things. They're seeing the villages and the shop keepers and the places where I go and I buy the food as their source. So even though back in Matthew chapter 14, he had fed many with little, here they are again. I, okay, well, it makes sense that you heal the blind. I don't know how to heal blinds, but God can do that. But feeding people, that's something simple. Do we ask God to help us with something simple? His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? They didn't even say, we don't have enough money to go buy that much bread. So obviously, they, the ministry had money, and they didn't think anything of buying food to help the poor, right, help people in need. They're just saying, where could we go buy it? We're in a remote place. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks... That's how he spoke to it. He gave thanks. He broke it and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Here's the thing. Most of us don't ask God to help us when we have lack because we think it's our responsibility. We think it's a common thing. Well, that's something I normally can take care of. Why would I ask God to help me with this, right? Well, I'm supposed to be a good mother, so if I'm having problem mothering, I got to figure it out. I got to come up with the answer, right? If I'm having problem, you know, not having enough money, I got to just, I got to keep working harder. But it's okay to ask God, say, help me, show me this. I'm doing what I'm doing is good, but it's just not enough. The other thing that we notice here is that Jesus had to get the disciples to think of, even if what you have is not enough, be willing to give it to others, So what they started off with, like here in uh, Matthew chapter 14, it says that they had five loaves of bread and two fish, and after they were willing to give what little they had and thank God and pray over it and give it to those that were hungry, their leftovers, it says they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. They started off with a few loaves, and now they have 12 basketfuls. See, that's what happened with me with, with when I started tithing and giving as a young girl. It's like, I only have a little, $13 a week, even back in the 90s was little. 
But when I tithed what I did, what was good, a little bit, then God was able to multiply that back when the other times when I needed him, right? And it's the same thing here in Matthew chapter 15. They started off, they said, well, we have seven loaves and a few small fish. And then afterwards, they picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So they got back what they sowed into all those people. They got back, they reaped a harvest, much more than what they had. So when we speak to lack, we have to remember that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to have faith, right, and to see it. Number one thing is just to recognize it and to ask yourself, Lord, is there anywhere in my life where I have lack? Is there anywhere in my life where I just need to acknowledge it? I don't, want to, I don't want to live like this. Remember, he wants us to have life to the full, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. That's John 10, 10. He wants us to live life to our, our, the fullest potential. So if there's any area in your life where you're not living life to the fullest potential, what do you have, right? Why? Are you waiting for, for some sort of false hope and you, need to, and you need to just ask the Lord, if that's not from you, let that dry up and help me, show me where to go? Is what you do have good, but it's just not enough? How can you sow that? How can you give that? How can you speak to it? How can you ask him through prayer to help you multiply that? Now, next week, we'll talk about the miracle times, right? Sometimes it's not that there's false hope. It's not that what I have is good, but not enough. Sometimes it's like I had nothing. I have nothing, and I don't see a way. And we need God to make a way where there seems to be no way, right? And we need a miracle. So next week we'll talk about when you have lack and when you just flat out need a miracle. But let me end here with looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. I love this here. It says, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. I love this principle, right? I believe, therefore I speak. And I have the same spirit in me that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. Now, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, can't he multiply some food on the beach? He can, he can do anything. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, can't he let this distraction that's given me false hope fade away and, and show me the way? If God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, and I have that same faith, maybe what it is is I need to start hearing these stories and start believing it. You know, the first thing you got to do is you got to pick one thing and start praying for it, and then when God does it, be reminded, like, ho, 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 right? Look what he did. Look what he did. Let me just pray over all of you real quick. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I ask you to help each and every single person here. You know where there may be lack in their life. And for some of them, they've lived with it for so long, they don't even realize and recognize it as lack. They just they think that's just the way of life, and they need, to, they need it shown to them that you want them to have fullness in that area of their life. For some people, they do recognize it, but they've just accepted it, that this is the way their life is, and, and, and they're just going to put up with it. But Father God, I, I want you to be with them this week and, and remind them that you want good things for them because you are good. Not because they deserve it, not because they are good, but because you are good. 
yes, there's principles they can apply to their life, and, and you are true to your word, and you will let those things multiply in their life. But even if they've never sown anything, and all they do is pray and ask you for a miracle, I know, Father God, that you will bless them and show them a way. You will make a way where there seems to be no way. You will show them where, who they need to call, what they need to do, what their next step is. So be with them and help them recognize those God nudges, whether it's a neighbor mentioning something in a conversation, them seeing something online, or them just having a gut feeling in their heart that they should try something new. But help them. Reveal to them any distractions or false promises or false hopes that Satan has put in their life that is used to just distract them from moving forward where they need to go. Help them multiply things in their life that are good, but just not enough. Show them, Father God. Show them how they can speak life. Help them to stop speaking death and instead to be positive and to, to trust you, to pray and believe and stop worrying. They might wonder, but help them to stop worrying. Be with them and watch over them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So it is Communion Sunday, so ushers, come on up and go ahead. We're going to pray over this communion. And I'm just super excited that um, God sent Jesus, and before Jesus went to the cross, he reminded us um, that what his sacrifice represents to all of us is for us today. So let's just pray over this real quick. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen. Amen. So when you get this, go ahead, and th these are prepackaged, so you don't have to worry about anybody sneezing over the bread before they are getting it ready. It's all clean and good. Um, go ahead and peel this top part off. And inside the top lid here, you'll see the bread. And just hold on to it. We'll take it all together. And you can just kind of get it ready there. We see in um, Matthew and in uh, Mark and various Gospels where they had that Last Supper. And the Jewish people, this was very symbolic for them because when they were saved and rescued from Egypt, they had a sacrificial lamb that they consumed. Now, the flesh of Christ was sacrificed, but they didn't consume Christ's flesh. So instead, when they had the supper, he took the bread and he said, now when you have bread, this will be a reminder of my flesh that was broken for you. And his blood was shed. He was whipped and he was beat. We actually see in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, in verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now what's interesting is Isaiah wrote this approximately five, 600 years before Christ went to the cross. And they, um, the Jewish soldier, or the, excuse me, the Roman soldiers would break the legs of those on the cross to hasten their death. And, of course, the sacrifice should have no broken bones. And so before they got to that point, Jesus gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished, and he died. 
And so the soldier went over there. Instead of breaking his legs, he looked and said, well, I'm pretty sure he's dead. If, if he's not dead, if he's faking it, if I stick him with a spear in his body, he's going to scream or cry out, right? So he took a spear and he pierced him and it said it like went up his side. And we believe it probably hit his heart because it said clear fluid rushed out and blood. And there's like a sack around your heart um, with fluid in it that kind of your part kind of sits in as it pumps. And so it's interesting that five, six hundred years before, it says he would be pierced. And we know that's when he was pierced. It says he was crushed for our iniquities, and they beat him. It says the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. In some versions, translations, it says by his stripes, and we know that they whipped him. And so there's four things promised here. And so when we take the communion, I want us to be remembered when he died on that cross, there was four things he died for. Most of us just receive one or two. All right, so the first one, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions are those one-time sins. Oh, I did this once. I felt bad. I never want to do that again. Lord, forgive me. He forgives us for that. But then it goes on, and it says that, that he was crushed for our iniquities. I say this one so much. You got that one up there. You rock, Jesse. Thank you. And our iniquities are those sins that we struggle with that we do again and again and again. And we think, like, how can God ever forgive me? I did it again. Well, hey, guess what? Isaiah prophesied five, six hundred years before Christ even went to the cross and said, well, you knew that we would have to be forgiven for our iniquities. Yeah? Does anybody have any iniquities? If you don't have your hand up, you're a liar. And that's an iniquity! <laughs> right? We all have an iniquity. We all have something that we struggle with, that we try. I don't try to be better, but... And then it says that um, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Oh, peace. I need peace. All I have to do is ask him for it. Here's the thing. is like we take this and we say, yeah, I'm saved. I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. We receive that. But do we receive his peace that readily? What about the healing? That's the last part of it. It says, and by his wounds we are healed. Just like I could say, Lord, forgive me, I can say, Lord, heal me. I can go to him for healing that quickly. That's what he did on the cross. When you take this, I want you to remember that this represents the fact that he not only wants to forgive you of your one-time sins, but your iniquities that you're still struggling with. He's forgiven you for it. And he has brought peace to you. You just have to ask him for it and receive it. And healing, you just have to ask for it. See, we ask for forgiveness of our sins. We have to ask for that healing. We have to ask for that peace. But a lot of times we forget. So that's why I wanted to remind us all of that. So let's go here to the book of Matthew. He's, he's there with his disciples. And he says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Go ahead and grab your little piece of bread there. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his body was pierced was crushed, it was wounded, for us to have healing, for us to be at peace, for us to be forgiven. We receive your peace in our life. We receive healing in our life, and we remember what he did on the cross, and we thank you for it, and we receive those benefits. Verse 27, it says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup. Father God, we thank you for this forgiveness of sins, that when his blood was shed, 
It was shed for us, not only for those one-time sins, but for the iniquities we struggle with as well. We receive forgiveness that you offer us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the name of Jesus, I pray for those hearing today's message. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Father God, I ask you to open their minds so they can understand everything that you have for them. We also pray for our community. May their eyes be open to the truth of who Jesus is. And in the name of Jesus, we declare that chains holding them captive, or us captive, be broken. Hearts will be healed, demons bound, eyes open, and souls saved. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. If you volunteered in any way, please sign up and uh, join us Wednesday night for the volunteer appreciation meal. And um, definitely check out the welcome booth if we have things there for you. And we'll see you all next week. God bless.